You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got our regular uh, feature, Politics Explained, Back to Basics in the Political Sandpit with Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. It's great to be well, here again. Oh, well, what do you got for me? What's What's been happening in politics? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you already know, but I think a good question for this week would be, given recent events, uh, what are the standards of behaviour required of MPs? Are, are, there, are there things written into the position? No. So for MPs, and this is quite a good thing, um, once you're elected, that's it. You're, you're an MP for the three years. Now, for memory, I don't think you can be declared bankrupt. Um, that puts you out of parliament. And there used to be a provision that you could be declared insane. I don't think anyone's ever had that. But apart from that, um, your behaviour is not something that anyone can do much about. Now, your caucus and your party leader under MMP can move to expel you and force you to go independent. And, of course, the significance of that is is we have that Walker jumping bill that can see you thrown out of parliament. In the old days, they could just throw you out of the party and you'd sit as an independent. So MPs have free range. And I think this is important because it acts as a as a great um it gives MPs an ability to buck the party and we don't see enough of that uh, MPs are too scared to buck the party even as it is even though they can they won't and you can imagine that um you had too much to drink and you've been questioning things and the party leader gets to throw you out of the party on that basis um well They've got to follow a process to throw you out of the party, and absent MMP, you don't go out of Parliament. That's why I oppose the Walker jumping bill, because I think it's wrong that a party leader can expel, essentially, an MP from Parliament, because it just entrenches the power of the leader. I'd much rather that they, you can kick them out of your party, but they stay in Parliament. It gets different. No, I should say, the standards of behaviour uh, that are maintained are maintained in the chamber. So when you're in the debating chamber, uh, there's a high level of decorum. So gentlemen have to wear a tie and a suit jacket. Um, I think that's been overdone by those um, crazies that have gone in and said wearing a tie is just too much for me. I love that because... It just makes people respectful and better behaved when they get dressed up and sit in the chamber. Yeah. You can imagine it if everyone walked in in T-shirt and jeans and flip-flops, that it just doesn't have that institutional respect, that historical respect. You're walking there. You walk into the debating chamber and right around the wall on two rings, and I saw it every time I walked in, And every time I was sitting there, I'd survey it. And it's a memorial, each one, to all the battles where Kiwis have fought and died. And it makes you stop and think because they literally fought and died so we could have a parliament. 
and mm. debate. And you respect that. You know, if you're sitting there in jandals and flip-flops and T-shirts, it would be terrible. Yeah, I, uh, just a quick point on the, the, the suits and whatnot. I, I agree with that, although I feel some of them just need to be a bit more creative. It seems like the, the, the men in, in Parliament's either dark grey or navy. It's just there's no creativity there. I mean, don't want to wear anything too silly, but just a little bit more, you know, I'm sure there was work to be done there. Now, on the, on the issue of code of dress or whatever you want to call it, What's the deal with that guy with the cowboy hat? What's the deal? There? Well, you were never allowed a hat, and he insisted it, and because he's Maori, he's special, I guess, and he was allowed to have a hat. You weren't allowed to wear a hat into Parliament, even in the days when men wore top hats. I don't think you were allowed a hat. Um, and he's got it that you can't wear a tie. He's got some cowboy thing around them. He sounds seriously out to lunch. By the way, there's no dress code for women. Um, so a woman can go in. Famously, Ruth Richardson went in one time to vote in her tracksuit uh, late one night when they had an all-night sitting and caused a furore. Um, but she could, but a man couldn't. And there's other little funny rules about Parliament. You're, you're not to approach someone uh, within two sword lengths uh, because the parliaments, they used to carry swords, and right, if you got within right. two sword lengths, they thought you might hit them. And um, so even now, you ask someone's permission to go and sit beside them and have a chat. Um, you don't just bowl up and sit beside someone and, you know, they could make a complaint to the speaker. Um, uh, but you are, you know, and there's, there's very strict rules. I asked the clerk, David McGee, he was the, he was a, Westminster, he was renowned right through the Commonwealth for his expertise and standing orders. And I asked him, what are all these rules for, Mr. McGee? And he said that they had to stop politicians talking. And it's quite funny because that's exactly what the rules do. You know, you could talk for 10 minutes, and now you shut up and sit down. You've had your say, and it's someone else's turn. So there are very strict rules in our parliament, and you can see that because you're debating things that are tough and hard. And... Um, so uh, you have to keep it respectful, even though you feel strongly about something and people are inflamed and impassioned. Um, now, with, with MPs too, um, we've moved in. We used to not even have to declare a pecuniary interest register, but now we do, as we've seen uh, with Mr. Michael Wood. Uh, so there is increasing obligations upon MPs. With ministers, though, completely different scenario. With ministers, there's a huge standard and code of conduct about what you are allowed to do and what you're not to do. You're bursting with the question, Tane. Yeah, when you are talking before about the rules of the code of conduct and whatnot, there is quite a bit of heckling that goes on. In Parliament? From opposition MPs. Yes, um, well, both sides. That's up, to, that's up to the speaker, and um, heckling is is allowed. But if you overheckle, the speaker will just shut you down. So you can't drown out a speech. Uh, and if the person speaking complains, the heckler will be uh, controlled to desist. Most MPs like a bit of a heckling because it sort of 
keeps everyone awake and on their toes. And there are some fantastic, fantastic heckles. Um, the greatest one of all time for handling heckles was David Longy and Sir Robert Muldoon. Um, I'm just thinking of one that I can recall was David Long was up speaking and um, someone called out that a thought had just crossed his mind and David Long, he said, not a very, not a very long journey. Um, so, you know, it's part of the fun of Parliament to heckle and, and to speak up. I imagine it's got a bit um, doleful and joyless now. But the point is when you become a minister, it all changes and you're given a manual of rules, and they are very, very strict, and you get advised on them, and you get told about them, and there's no way that you can be ignorant of them. That's not a defence. And the reason that that has to be the case is because once you're a minister, you're in charge of a government department, probably several government departments, and their chief executive depends on you for their job, you can get them fired. And so you have the ability to influence a government department, to um, influence it to your business partners, to your family's advantage, um, to be a very, very bad, corrupt person without even realising it. Because if, oh, look, I've got a mate, could you just go and help this mate for me? Or... I even I have a constituent and he needs help. You can't do that as a minister, right? Because you're the one in charge. And so you're playing favourites. And so if you have a, a an electorate issue come to you uh, to do with your department, you pass it off to another MP to handle because you don't want to be caught in that conflict of interest. And it's also made very plain because you're a decision maker. You know, you're making decisions on laws that could mean millions and millions of dollars to people, win or lose. Uh, you're making decisions on um, that'll affect people's lives. You know, what's an essential business and not an essential business when COVID was going on? You're the minister. You're in the cabinet making those decisions. And, of course, it's very important that there be confidentiality and not giving someone a heads up about what's about to happen. Um, so... As a minister, it becomes very, very significant, the standards of behaviour. And it's also impressed upon you that you're a minister 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's not a, there's not a period when you're not a minister. You're sort of always a minister. We've seen a lot of fudging on that. Um, and it's quite a hard transition to make from being an MP where you're irresponsible. That is to say you're not responsible for anything other than speaking and maybe submitting a report in a select committee to being a minister where you're responsible for everything in your purview and you're also responsible for everything in the cabinet because you're a part of the cabinet. Um, and the behaviour that we've seen um, is truly shocking to me because I don't have a lot of respect for government and, and these things, but... What we've seen is highly disrespectful to our country and, and to people, and, and I think that's been lost. Now, interestingly, the cabinet manual is enforced by the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister decides whether someone's broken the rules or not. 
full stop. So it's not, there's no one else. So you could be in flagrant breach of the rules and the Prime Minister say, oh, that's okay. Or you could be hardly in breach of the rules and the Prime Minister decide uh, that's unacceptable. And so the Prime Minister has absolutely, absolute power, tyrannical power over who is a minister and who is not. And so when we we see this with, um, what was the lady's name? I've forgotten it. Um, Alan, Kerry Allen. Um, When we see that that behaviour, whether she stays as a minister or not, not as an MP or not, whether she stays as a minister or not is entirely on Mr. Hipkins. Um, I should say, I feel upset about this issue that the whole thing hasn't been explained to us. I think there should be, from the Prime Minister, because it's a minister, he should be up there explaining, and that would be the purpose of that debate, to explain exactly what happened. Because we don't know, and it's significant. Why? Because she's a minister. And we, we must know what she's, she's been exercising power in the cabinet. And we don't know what's happened. We don't know what the significance of this. We don't know where they're gone. Um, and that the prime minister can sort of not give an explanation other than our oh, mental health episode. Um, that doesn't get a government off the hook. That was a government minister, my goodness. And the fact that the media aren't probing this means that we have sort of like a closed shop. And here's what I reckon. I reckon everyone in the media and everyone in Parliament and everyone in the Cabinet knows exactly what happened. I suspect there's a lot more to it. But they're not going to tell us. And that's what you feel is happening now in our government and our Parliament. Yeah, just there when you mentioned uh, media and their coverage of it. It just reminded me of something and I just did a quick Google search to to confirm it but there's an article from ABC News in Australia which if you're not familiar is more of a left-leaning outlet over there and the way they've titled the article is New Zealand Justice Minister Kerry Allen resigns after car crash while allegedly over legal alcohol limit. Is it allegedly? I I thought this was a known fact yeah, no. well, I, I thought it was a known fact. But we don't know whether she was alone in the car. We know that she didn't follow the police. Like, what was it? She refused to accompany the police. What was going on at that point? She's a Minister of Justice. At that moment, she is the Prime Minister's Minister of Justice. Now, the Minister of Justice refused to accompany the police. Why? What was going on? Where was she? We've seen that little video of the car crash and there's no police officer there, no Kerry Allen there, and it's still a dangerous situation. It was immediately following the accident, it would seem. No one was there. Where was she? Where were the police? What what were the circumstances of this? And I think there's quite a story there, and I think we're not being told because why? You're not allowed to ask questions? I understand she's not well, right? It's not good. 
But Prime Minister Hipkins, his Minister of Justice, has done, I don't know of anything worse in, ever in the private life or behaviour of a minister than what has just occurred. I realise they make decisions that are far worse, right, as governments. But this is a shocker. I couldn't imagine the MP refusing to accompany the police. What on earth were the circumstances? And we deserve to know why. Because it's our government, not theirs. It's not the way it's being presented to us. There you go. I'm um, The behaviour of a minister is a big deal because they set the standard for the department. What are we saying to the Ministry of Justice officials now? That, you know, the minister doesn't follow the rules. You don't have to either. Where's the Prime Minister and stating very clearly that he expects his ministers to follow the law and not be above it? This minister clearly thought she was above it. Thank goodness that the police didn't agree with her. Because the police could have just said, oh, yeah, let her go. She's a minister. That might be the next step. Sure, yeah. That's yeah. how serious this is. And, I mean, imagine it. Imagine it that you crash a car as a minister and the police say, oh, yeah, we won't worry about this. It's a minister. Correct? And they say, then they say um, something really bad happens, money changes hands or whatever. Oh, well, it's a minister. Because, again, our prime minister hasn't explained why our minister of justice was breaking the law. Because that's what's happened here hmm. on several fronts, it would seem. Yeah, but we don't know. Yeah. There you go. That's politics shambles. explained. Um, oh, my goodness. It's a bad one, but it's bad in a way that is not being explained to us or being presented to us. It's not just a personal circumstance for the minister concerned or the private citizen now as concerned or the MP finishing out her term concerned. It's a big issue for how we are governed and whether our ministers are above the law and whether our government has to follow the law. Let's get that straight. And let's get some full transparency about what was happening here. There you go. Probably. That was Politics Explained. You can see I'm a bit hot about this. I feel sorry for Kerry Allen because she's clearly, you know, got troubles. But I actually think there's a bigger picture here about our government. Uh, that was Tane Webster, Politics Explained. Send us an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Send us a text with your thoughts at 2057. I smell a big rat because when the government's not explaining something, they're hiding something. There you go. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Tane. Catch you later, Rodney. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m.